Hi, I'm the person whose closet is put in color order, but I'll also pick up an earthworm without thinking twice. In fact, I did yesterday. <laughs> it needed my help. I'm not afraid to be a little messy. Human nature is messy, but nature nature can help us embrace it. I love the brand seventh generation. Their laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with the power of bioenzymes. That's exciting. You wipe your hands on your pants after you pick up an earthworm. Seventh generation is like, don't worry, hug a dirty tree, huff some bark. It's good for you. That is the power of seventh generation. Find laundry detergent and other laundry products at seventhgeneration.com. I love worms. This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. And if you've heard me talk about Grammy, you know that she means the world to me. I wanted a dog for probably 10 years and I was living in an apartment, couldn't have dogs. When I finally moved somewhere else, I adopted her within weeks and it was love at first scritch. She's about two feet away from me as I record this. She hangs out in the studio and all I wanna do is smooch her and look at her and stare at her. I also like feeding her because I see how happy it makes her. And there's nothing like watching her lick her chops after having yummy stuff like Grammy's pot pie or real Texas beef and sweet potato, which are two recipes she's been enjoying for America. As her parent, I like that they use deboned meat and fish or poultry as the number one ingredient. I also like that they have these real ingredients and you can see them on the bag so you know what's in each one. And watching her do a little dance, especially with a Grammy's pot pie recipe, brings too much joy to my heart. Is there such a thing as too much joy? I'm not sure. But check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. Hey, it's a puddle that was just a little deeper than you thought. Allie Ward here, another episode of Smologies. So Smologies episodes are just like regular full-size ologies episodes, but we de-adult them, if you will, and we whittle them down to about 20 or 30 minutes. So the regular ologies episodes that you like but are too filthy for kids or your grandparents, these are classroom-safe versions of them. Also, they're small, so they're perfect for short little walks and commutes. Okay, speaking of small things, let's talk about slugs and snails. Malacology. So the study of mollusks and malacology comes from the Greek word for soft animal, and it deals with mollusks ranging from snails and slugs to bivalves and octopuses. So many. There are a ton of malacological subsets and adults. You can see the amazing toothology episode on squids, but there isn't a specific ology for snails. Limacology is a study of slugs, but snails don't get their own? What? So this episode is just a carnival of both slug and snail facts. And this guest is a curator at the Natural History Museum of LA County. They did their undergrad in biology and geology at Colgate and went on to earn a PhD in integrative biology at Berkeley. So get ready for some belly-footing slime cruisers, dizzying denticles, and tiny, terrifying teeth. What snail slime is actually made of, if I should put it on my face, giant pet snails, prolonged snail snoozes, and more slime than any of us know what to do with. Oh, and because I'm not a giant fan of the word um, mucus, you're going to hear it replaced with a soft chime instead. So every time you hear this, just think of the word mucus. You can do it quietly in your head or you can say it aloud from the backseat because you're not in my car. Okay, on to the show. So let's get to know our goopy pals with museum mollusk curator, researcher, and malacologist, Dr. Jan Vendetti.
what's the difference between snails and slugs? Yeah, I know that seems like an obvious question. It's a good question. Okay. So I get asked that question a lot and people often think that slugs are just snails that have kind of cast off their shell. Like, I'm done with this shell and now I'll be a slug. That's not true. So I've explained uh, that that snails and slugs are both, like you said, gastropods, but there's lineages, multiple places, multiple times a slug is just the name for a snail whose shell is either absent or so small that the snail cannot retract into it fully. So there's things called semi-slugs that have like little, almost like vestigial shells, like this little dinky shell on it that it can't do anything with. It's just still there. Mm -hmm. Others have an internal shell, which is like a little disc that sometimes you can even see when you're looking down at a sort of semi-translucent slug, which we have in Los Angeles from Europe. You can see like a little disc sort of in the middle of its body and that's its tiny little remnant shell. So they so snails and slugs are both gastropods. Snails obviously what we usually call snails have shells. Slugs have a remnant shell or have completely lost their shell, but they can't regain it like during their life and they have never lost it during their life. Mm-hmm. They yeah. were born that way. So hopefully that clarifies our most basic question about the difference between the two. But let's talk about one feature of a belly footer shell. Some gastropods have have extremely elaborate denticles, or you could call them teeth, that are at the margin of their aperture, so the opening of the shell, Mm -hmm. which makes their bodies able to get out, but very difficult for other things to get in. So an opening that's lined with little pokies. Now, what about how baby snails and slugs come into the world? Well, a lot of snails and slugs have both male and female reproductive parts, and can create offspring without a partner. So it has its advantages and disadvantages, as Dr. Jan explains. Why are more organisms not hermaphroditic Mm -hmm. or have both male and female reproductive parts? Part of it is that there is an advantage, but a bigger disadvantage to self-fertilize. So sometimes if you have both parts, you can fertilize yourself. Oh my God, that's so narcissistic. Right? (laughs) So then you can make you can make offspring that you are, you were both the mother and the father. They're not clones, but they are your offspring with no partner, right? right? So that can be problematic because you don't get variations. The scientific consensus generally is that if you are self-fertilizing, that's not a great system in the long run. Mm-hmm for genetic diversity. And when environments change, you always need genetic diversity. Otherwise, your lineage will just go extinct. The more genetically diverse, not in all all situations, but yeah, in most, the more genetically diverse you are as a population within a species, the better you are essentially equipped to handle environmental change, right? Mm -hmm. So if things change, some individuals, your environment changes, some individuals in that group will be able to survive and Mm -hmm. then have offspring, right? So that's usually a good thing. So diversity helps make populations stronger. Next, the difference between snails and slugs that are land dwellers versus those water inhabitants. And it turns out they might be connected through one of the biggest evolutionary innovations in biology. So squirming up onto the mud and then into the dirt. So many people have this question. Can you give me in a nutshell... The difference between terrestrial and aquatic snails and slugs. What's the deal? Why can some of them hang out? Oh, on sure. Land? So terrestrial means lives lives on land, and obviously aquatic means lives in freshwater or if it's the ocean, we would normally call it marine. And then from the marine realm, 
different lineages have evolved. Most of them, like it was a big introduction once or a big evolutionary innovation that one lineage evolved to be terrestrial. And then once they were terrestrial, they really sort of exploded in diversity. So there's a bunch of different pathways that they've, they've taken Mm -hmm. to kind of, you could call it invade these different ecosystems. And it's considered one of the biggest evolutionary innovations in the evolution of, of animals is, and doesn't seem like it because not that many people think or talk about gastropods, but gastropods evolving or snails evolving from the ocean to the land is considered one of the biggest evolutionary innovations in the history of life. Because it's so hard to do. Yeah. I mean, your whole your physiology has to accommodate oxygen instead and air instead of water, which yeah. is a big, big difference. Can you imagine yeah. if it just the air just had floating jellyfish in it just like puffing <laughs> flying, by flying and it was fish, yeah. like nothing like oh, oops, oh, that jellyfish amazing. almost hit me in the face way to go slugs and snails you made it and you brought some wetness with you so let's slide into slime corner how do slugs and snails survive in arid or dry environments are they so thirsty all the time someone get them a juice box what is it about terrestrial snails and slugs? Is it like a BYOM, like bring your own on land and then just like cover yourself in a moisture layer and you're good to go? That lets them start to survive when it when in like arid conditions yeah. at all. So if you have a shell and you're marine, then you have something you can pull into and keep yourself safe and from drying out. So it's like it had two different functions. <gasps> if the first function in the marine realm or where they're living in the ocean was for protection, its secondary function was to prevent desiccation, right? whether it was necessary for that organism when it first evolved or not. Mm-hmm. So that allowed them, this is why we call it pre-adapt, which, like I said, has some kind of problematic implications. But but the idea is that they had this trait already, and that trait ended up having a really important secondary function that allowed them to make this big transition onto land. Right. So if you have a shell, your shell can be uh, where you you pull into and keep yourself from drying out. So that's what they do. So so that's one of the reasons that that big evolutionary innovation could happen in the first place. That makes sense. But for slugs, they obviously don't have that. So you mostly see slugs in wet environments, which is why you see banana slugs in parts of the you know, the greater Bay Area, because you've got lots of wet, foggy redwood forests yeah. where they get a lot of moisture Mm, comfy wet fog and organisms in their perfect niche, just slipping and sliding and thriving. But what is the slippery stuff? Just lay it on me. But not really. I'm good. So what is snail slime? It's mostly water. It's mostly water. And one way of describing it is as a liquid crystal. And this is outside my realm of expertise, but there's ways that it can be sticky and fluid very quickly and move from sticky to flu to semi-fluid the ability to do that can put you in a category as a biological product called a liquid crystal p.s liquid crystal means that the molecules follow orderly patterns like a solid but it flows like a liquid so another liquid crystal soapy water wow that's news to me and it just helps for mostly mobility and protection, right? Yeah, that's right. So you can, as a snail or a slug, you could make um, multiple kinds of slime for various purposes, right? Oh. So your moving slime would be different than your protection slime, oh. right? So your, the cells on your foot would make 
slippery slime so you could move around or very sticky slime to stick you to something. And then your body, right, the dorsal part of your body would make maybe um, chemical rich, protective, unpalatable slime. It seems like <laughs> risky to have essentially a trail of breadcrumbs leading to your location. Like, hey, yeah. everyone, here is here is an actual map to find out where That's I'm right. hiding. So there's yes, it does. That there, there's sort of maybe I can think of two reasons why that would be a good thing. One, it might advertise the chemicals that are in you that would be so you could have anti predator slime in your foot slime too that says predator. This I smell disgusting. One way to cut off a conversation with someone you're avoiding smell disgusting to them, easy peasy. But is slime dangerous to humans or could it serve a purpose for our dry, non slimy exterior? There is some research now that slug and snail slime can be healing for human skin in various ways. Right. Yeah. And I, because I, that is one of the most asked questions from Patreon is, is snail goop really good for your skin? Matt right. Clement, Lauren Eggert Crow, um, Kabarli. Yep. So there's so a lot of South asked. Korea has a has a lot of uh, snail slime products. A lot of Southeast Asia has a lot of snail slime products or yes, for everything from like curing acne scars to just general beautification. I'm not a biochemist and this is more a biochemistry question, but there does seem like there is there could be some benefit to putting something that is water rich on your skin, right? But I don't know how that would be very different than like aloe mm -hmm. or anything else that is um, like an emollient. Also, side note, don't eat any raw snails or slugs because they may carry rat lungworm, which is a worm that burrows into your brain and can kill you. So serious illnesses have happened in a few countries and even in the southern United States, mostly in boys and young men who have been dared by friends to eat a raw slug or snail. So please don't do that. Cook them if you have to. It also can tell. So if you're a snail or a slug, you might have trouble finding a mate and your slime trail may be a path to you from somebody else who would be your potential mate. Oh. So it's like your breadcrumb trail that's your romantic breadcrumb trail. Here I am. Because yes, snails and slugs need love too. But let's scoot along to their anatomy and the mysteries that you'll encounter if you stare a snail right in the face. Let's talk about their Martian googly eyes. Because like, it's so weird. I feel like we're so yeah. used to it. But it's like, yeah, they're, yeah, weird. You have two sticks that grow out of your head Mm -hmm. From moment to moment. And they can also pull them into their head and then pop them back out. And marine snails, most marine snails don't have that. Most marine snails, their eyes are on their face. And how are these terrestrial eye stalks even working? And also, side mm -hmm. note, don't they have crazy tongues? Yes. Okay. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Right. So the eye is on a muscle. And if you if you were to look at a snail and you were to poke at its eye stalk, it'll pull its eye in. So it can pull its eye in <gasps> on a muscle Ooh. first before the rest of the stalk. Ooh. Right. So it's like having a foot in a sock. Like you could pull your <laughs> foot out of your sock and your sock is still there. So you so they can do that. So they have, I think, an image forming eye, but there's no 
reason to think that they're making a lot of sense out of what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. What about their weird tongues? Yeah, their weird tongues. So their tongues are, are called radula mm-hmm. or one radula, two radulae. And I tell people it's like a, it's like a cat tongue. So if you imagine if you have ever been licked by a cat, right? It's got that really rough tongue. So their radula is like a cat tongue and all of those little, the bit that makes it extremely effective is our little teeth, little teeth with it on, on the tongue. So it's like a strip that moves in and out and the, the mouth kind of shoots it out and scrapes and pulls it back in and shoots it out and scrapes and pulls it back in. So a snail tongue is made up of hundreds to thousands of tiny little teeth that have different shapes and sizes depending on the species. Thousands. So no more complaining about brushing teeth before bed. All right, humans, we only have 32 of them. That is 13,968 fewer teeth than the average garden snail. I'm getting tired just thinking about it. Speaking of which, do they nap? Dr. Slime, as she's called, tells us more. You had mentioned hibernation, and mm-hmm. I got this question, I feel like, before I even knew I was doing this episode, but why can they sometimes just hang out sealed off in their shell yeah. for, like, months? Right. Well, that's one of the reasons that the snails that can do that are good at living in environments where they didn't evolve and that can be very hot and dry, mm-hmm. that they survive because they can do that very thing. It's called estivation. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's hibernation, essentially. And so they find a spot and they can put out a special that will stick their shell to a surface. So like the side of a house. Mm-hmm. And then they can pull their body back in and make another layer that covers their body and has a little hole as an air hole. And then they can sit there and wait. I have one estimating like I'm looking at it right now. It's what? sitting over there. I can show you. Yes, I see it in a jar. It's just like gone fishing. I love that you just have a jar with a snail in it. So a snail seals itself into its shell during hot or dry periods, kind of like how you would barricade yourself indoors during the summer in Arizona. And there's like a tiny little hole in their sealed off slime wall, kind of like a mail slot through which you would accept air or pizzas even though snails are fasting. Once they have rain, then they'll find each other and mate and find something to eat and then go back to estivating. So it's like they're, I guess once they have enough resources, they'll just go to sleep and like they'll slow down their metabolism and stay like that for, yeah, they can stay like that for a really long time, which also extends their their lives. Like Mm -hmm. people have asked, how long do they live? And I said, I, they could live for five plus years really i think so because most of their if especially if a lot of their life is just estivating right Mm -hmm. so they're not doing anything they're just waiting five years i had no idea i mean spending most of your life napping sounds kind of nice but you would miss so many birthday parties so much cake and you'd have so much mail piled up okay let's get to your questions but first here at ologies we'd like to give away some money to deserving causes and this week we'll be sending some to a program called slime stands for snails and slugs living in metropolitan environments and it's a community science project that aims to catalog the biodiversity of terrestrial gastropods land snails and slugs you know that in los angeles county and throughout southern california and that is through the nhm.org you can check them out or you can also listen to the episode grown-ups a field trip that i did all about how volunteering at the nhm changed my whole life and caused me to make this podcast. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to find out more about slime as well. That donation was made possible by sponsors of the show. Oh, KiwiCo. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allies love you. 
Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kiddos busy. Kiwi goes like, we did the legwork for you. And the summer adventure series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket and you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages, everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages nine to 14, an entrepreneur where you can do textured clay projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at Kiwi. KiwiCo.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. I know I usually save my secrets for the end of the episode, but I'm going to tell you my secret favorite candy. It's Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. It's really Reese's anything, but Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the thing that I'm like, have I had a bad day? I get these. Have I had a good day? I get these. Chocolate, salty peanut butter, the textures. I love everything about them. Also that there's two. So I'm like, oh, I get this one for later, which is one second later. Anyway, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I love you. That's all. If you're me, you can shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you. Found wherever candy is sold. And I am. Okay, your questions. Here we go. Can I hit you with some Patreon questions? Yeah. Okay. Sure. This is a rapid fire round. You can answer as fast as you want. Sarah Preston, great question. A few people ask this. Where do all the shells come from? Are they making them? Are they finding them? What the shells going on? They're making, yeah, they're making them. So I, I say that it's like a turtle, right? So a turtle makes its shell and it lives in its shell and it's attached to its ne- its shell and it can't somehow like cast it off and get another one. Mm-hmm. A snail is... In that sense, exactly the same. Okay. It makes its shell when it's a little tiny baby. It has a tiny little shell. As it grows, it adds to its shell. So it's like a turtle. Like a turtle doesn't just, it's not like naked when it's born and then finds a shell. (laughs) It's the same thing with snails. They make their shell. So every shell that you've ever seen was made by a snail. Dustin Mills wants to know, are there fast snails? Yes. Fast in... In certain aspects, yes. Cone snails, which are famous for having conotoxins, these special toxins that they use to kill their prey. The way that they do that is they have a radula, right? The feeding structure that is, um, that is evolved to be a spear type shape. And they can in milliseconds, um, shoot out the spear into fish. Um, polychaete worms or other mollusks and that process of shooting it like if there's a fish you've got to be pretty quick to catch a fish so a cone snail that eats fish can shoot out this barb in milliseconds and um, paralyze its prey almost instantaneously and then engulf it and eat it so that's fast that's real fast fast is most definitely relative in terms of terms. But next we moved on to the concept of eating snails and the French delicacy of escargot. Please note, 
that not all snails are created delicious when it comes to using them as a food source. Also really depends on how you prepare them. And like we said earlier, please, please never eat a raw snail or a raw slug ever. Two words, rat lungworm. Is that enough? It should be. But what if they are cooked and they're safe? Mike Monikowski, great question. Is farming helix snails for escargot an environmentally sustainable form of agriculture? And do you eat snails, conch snails? Right, I don't. So helix, so he's talking about for escargot, there's a couple of species that are... Are, yeah, are good escargot snails that I have never eaten. Mm-hmm. One is our Los Angeles wet sidewalk snail. Right. So in addition to making the slime that's used in snail beautification products, they also are a maybe second tier escargot snail. Okay. Is it environmentally sustainable as a form of protein? I would say probably more than other forms of protein. I mean, they can, they can build up a lot of body mass on very few ingredients. They could also eat like refuse right. of, from, you know, they could eat, they could be instead of your, your compost bin, you could have snails thriving and eating your compost and then you could eat your snails. Wow. That was kind of how uh, the Corny Whispersome wet sidewalk, sidewalk snail was introduced to um, California in the first place. Right. Wasn't it, it was Gold a, Rush? There was a Frenchman who in 18 somethings, I'm not sure if it was for the Gold Rush, could have been. Fact check this story and yes, is delightfully, endearingly, bizarringly true. A Frenchman in California who asked his someone in his family, his mother perhaps, to send him snails from France to California because he wanted to have a supply of snails to eat. And so he made an enclosure for them so he could breed these snails to have them whenever he wanted. <laughs> and the little babies are just millimeters big and crawled out of the mesh or presumably whatever structure he had for them. And then that was one of the ways that snails were first, perhaps the first way that snails were introduced to California. But they, this same snail has been introduced all around the world and lives, I mean, in South Africa, New Zealand, Australia. It's, it's, it's really good at living where people live. I have a, a colleague at the museum who collects snails at night around Los Angeles and feeds them cornmeal for a while to like clean out their system. And then I guess sautés them up, steams them, however, and eats them. Mm -hmm. My mom used to do that. My, my grandma, my great grandma, she, (laughs) she used to do that. She would send my mom and my aunt out to the graveyard with a burlap wow. sack and they'd have to take the Muni in San Francisco with this dripping <gasps> oozy sack of, and then she'd feed them cornmeal. She was Were like, they in North Beach? Was this like Italian grandma from yes, North Beach? Yes, yeah, literally awesome. lived in North Beach. And that's so, where they, that's where all the Italians live. Yeah. And so wow. my mom would, would have that's to, amazing. she said she was mortified as a teenager. <laughs> you know, she'd be taking the subway with a burlap sack full of <laughs> just, and then, so do you, but you don't eat gastropods. I mean, I, I, I have not, not the escargot variety, but, um, I have on a couple occasions, but it's not like I don't seek that out to eat. Right. Not it's, for any particular reason. It's just not really my, not really my thing. Not your jam. Too, yeah. So chewy. Yeah. Very chewy. So snails and slugs have this rich history as a source of nutrition, but do they make good pets? It's possible, but there is one specific kind of snail you should avoid trying to keep as a pal. It's a gals, G-A-L-S. Skype a scientist has a great question. Oh. Is there any good reason that I should not have a giant African land snail as a pet? Yes. Felica. Yes, there are many reasons. Okay. There are many. 
The only places that those snails, they're called giant African land snails, which are nicknamed gals, G-A-L-S. Hey! So gals are potentially highly, highly invasive and highly destructive in environments where there isn't a cold winter that can kill them off. Oh. So yes, the short answer is you should absolutely not. And if you do have them, the answer is not, oh my gosh, I have them. I'm going to let them loose in like Echo Park and then I don't have them anymore. (laughs) The answer is call, like contact me at the museum or somebody from USDA. And what is that when you, when you give up, you can, you can give up your snails without any, um, Oh, you have impunity. Yes. I believe you are just, you can say, I have these. I'm not supposed to have them. Uh I'm not going to let them loose in Griffith park or anywhere else. I'm going to give them to you, somebody who's going to deal with them. Right. So that they do not become an agricultural pest. Yes, please do not unleash an agricultural pest upon your local ecosystem. Your ecosystem is like, please, no, please, we can't take it. So safe surrender is a thing, or better yet, just don't try to domesticate a giant African land snail, despite how cool they look. Now, as we are rounding third on this podcast, you know, I always want to know what makes our ologists love their jobs so much. And what is your favorite part about your job? Or do you have a favorite moment in malacology where you discovered something or you were in Hawaii on a bluff and found a species? Anything crazy like that happen? I would say it's it's not one moment. It's I think like a lot of scientists, if you if you get to do the work that you like to do, and this sounds sentimental, and I don't mean it to sound to sound as sentimental as it's going to sound. But every day, almost literally every day, there's something new that I learn that is amazing to me. And it wouldn't, I understand it wouldn't be amazing to everybody, right? But I think that you know when you're in the right kind of job, when something that you encounter as part of your job is is awesome. Like, this is amazing. And I didn't know anything about that. Like, I am, I've had training for, for a decent number of years, I've done, I've worked on a bunch of different species. And still, there are so many stories about evolution that you can see in organisms that are just absolutely like breathtaking. So it's a really, in that sense, it's a really amazing every day. There is the potential for something to be absolutely mind blowing. Just mind-blowing indeed. And it seems like so many of our ologists get into their respective fields for the same reason. Okay, let's have the recap. So we learned that snails and slugs are both belly footers. Snails have shells. Slugs have a remnant shell or were born without one. They have thousands more teeth than you do. They can have offspring with or without a partner. And for more on that, you can listen to the full-length episode suitable for adults, Malacology, the full version. We'll link it in the show notes. We also learned about the evolutionary leap of sea slugs to land slugs. That was a big cool one. We learned that snail slime is mostly water and it's sometimes described as a liquid crystal. And if you're going to eat slugs or snails, do not eat them raw. We learned snails can hibernate like bears, but it's called estivation. And there are many, many, many reasons why you should not have a giant African land snail as a pet. So thank you, Dr. Jan Vendetti, for sharing your love of snails and slugs with us. And thank you for tuning in, all you new Smologites. These fresh, clean little episodes are out about every two weeks. Uh, you can find more at aliwar.com slash Smologies. You can listen to the full Malacology episode that has much more detail and adult content. The full episode also has more on Dr. Slime's journey, and that's available on aliwar.com or in the show notes. 
There's a full list of credits for this episode that can be found there as well since we like to keep things small around here. And if you listen to the very end of the show, I give you a piece of advice. And this is one that I just learned in the last 12 hours. Apparently, if you wrap the top of your banana stems, they sometimes come wrapped in plastic, but you can wrap them in foil or beeswax cloth. And that traps the ethylene gas in your bananas, which tells the rest of the banana to ripen. So by trapping it, your bananas stay fresher longer. So you wrap your tops. There you go. Isn't that bananas? It's bananas. Okay. Until next time, small joints. Bye. He slimed me. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.